with one phrase. Joy shared is double, grief shared is half. Ooh, I love that. Joy shared is doubled, grief shared is half. That is brilliant, and I've yeah. heard that recently. Welcome to this episode of the Thriving Lawyers Podcast. Uh, I am one of your hosts, Chris Osborne. I am a lawyer and continuing education developer and provider in Charlotte, North Carolina. With me today is uh, my guest, Michael Kahn, who is actually the other half of Real-Time Creative Learning Experiences, but also, uh, in his own right, a licensed mental health therapist and clinician, and he does a great deal of work with lawyers in various contexts uh, dealing with uh, something we're going to talk about is today's topic, grief. Um, a lot of people think of grief as something that you experience only around death in particular. That's usually when it's talked about, uh, but it turns out that grief has a lot wider application, and it has a, lot, a wide range of applications, and particularly for us in the practice of law. So, Michael, welcome. Glad to have you with us uh, here today. Thank you, Chris. Looking forward to talking about a subject that is very, um, very close to my heart, actually, and, and, and work that I've done as a therapist and now as a therapist lawyer. Fantastic. Um, so tell, uh, tell me a little bit about, I know uh, your story and you've shared a little bit with prior uh, podcast listeners on uh, how you ended up leaving the law and you got trained as a mental health counselor. Uh, but tell me about kind of when did you first start working with um, patients, clients who were dealing with grief? When did that become a, a facet of your counseling practice? Well, when I worked at the agency in Charlotte, my first job out of grad school, we, you had to be a generalist. So I dealt with grief and loss there. In fact, I had a colleague who uh, once told me, you know, if you really pay attention to every personal concern that people bring to your office, almost always there's some facet of grief or loss. Oh, wow. And it really got me thinking, and, I, and I, it's really kind of true. And we can, as you said, when many of us think about grief, we think about death. But uh, grief and loss comes up a lot in, in so many ways in our life. For example, a divorce, hmm. um, aging, job change, pet loss. Uh, illness or, or, well, some kind of disability where you, where you lose functioning uh, for good, um, miscarriage, things like that, and so many other areas where, where, um, where grief and loss, where, where you experience grief and loss, where we don't maybe think of it that way. I remember uh, somebody exposed me to that thought. I haven't read this book. I believe my wife has uh, a book by Jerry Sitzer. Um, and now the title of it is escaping me, but I remember he gave the, uh, example in there of even after like a divorce, uh, somebody feels like basically it, it, you could compare it to, um, you know, you've lost a limb, lost a leg. And so you're not, you're not dead. You still are going to function and do a lot of what you did before, but you are forever changed. You're not right. going to operate the same way. Is that a fair kind of metaphor to to yeah. what it's like to, to, to live after a, a substantial loss of some sort. Yeah. And no, a phrase we like to, or the, the folks in, in, 
in my profession like to use is new normal. Mm. That when something happens where you lose something, then you have to deal with this new um, way that your life looks. A great example, in my workshops, I share a quote from a running back for the Panthers. And he talks about, he's talking about a teammate. Yeah, I, I, I can't believe I'm never going to see him again. Things are never going to be the same. I feel like I saw him and now all of a sudden he's gone. And um, there are one or two elements of that quote. Then I asked participants, well, what happened? What do you think happened? And almost always folks say, oh, wow, um, somebody died. Someone he knew, maybe a family or a friend or something died. And, um, and, and, and I share the rest of the story, as it were, that it was a teammate of his, John Stewart, a running back, who was traded. And, but it sounds like, everything in that quote sounds like he had died. And it's a great example of how we experience the elements of loss around more than just death. And uh, over the years, have you had opportunities to work um, with people on grief in different settings? And, and tell us about what that's looked like. So I really got into working with uh, around grief in different settings when I started working at Kindermorn, which was an agency, is an agency in Charlotte, and it works mostly with people who have had uh, children die. Okay. And I started co-leading a group for parents who have had miscarriages and stillbirths and very young infants die. So I did a support group for parents who um, sometimes couples, sometimes just one, one parent came and, and helped them cope with the devastating loss of having a child die. Oh, I'm, I'm curious, um, have you had that sort of thing happen to you? And, and if not, um, what is it, how are you able to, to walk with people in that, given that you may not have experienced the exact loss that they have? That's a great question. And, and I often think about what drew me to, to this area. No, the answer is no. I have not had that experience. And, um, and, uh, and I've had to think about what is it that draws me to this work? Because, of course, when I tell non-therapists that I do this kind of work, most say, wow. I don't know how you do that because it feels very heavy to people and they don't know how you could do that and then just go home and not have that just, um, just weighing on, you, you know, weighing on you. Thank you. And, um, I think what it is for me is helping people when, when people are grieving their masks and their facades are off or at least off more than they usually are. So you're dealing with people at their most uh, authentic. And, and, and the thing, too, about grief is many of us, most of us, have the ability to cope with our grief. Sometimes we need some, some help along the way with a therapist or a friend or uh, a rabbi or a priest or someone like that. But most of us have that resilience. And for me, it's seeing people go, going from the beginning point where they're dealing with this loss and the, this, the, the, the huge amount of pain and then getting to the other side where things are never going to be the same, of right. course, but they're able to get to the other side and see that I do have a life ahead of me and I do still have a relationship with this person. 
and, who died in this case, we're talking about as an example death, but I still have a relationship with this person and it's just different than what it was. And there's a sense in which uh, I, I think I can relate having experienced a little bit of that um, in grieving different losses, um, the loss of my mother and then my sister to breast cancer. Uh, I've spent some time kind of grieving things that happened as a kid, you know, with my parents' divorce and stuff that, that this is many, many years later after it's happened, but recognizing that there's something to be gained in facing that pain, in naming it, and in, in kind of going through it, you do kind of come out on the other side stronger. It's really hard to explain um, yeah. uh, if you haven't had that kind of loss, but you can kind of tell when you're talking to somebody who's been through some loss and been strengthened by it. Um, it's not just this, oh, it gives you perspective or you, you know, a lot of people say, oh, I, I take life really seriously now. I don't waste it. Right. Um, there's that aspect, but there's something also, I think somebody gave me a phrase one time. They said, you know, pain is actually not your enemy. Fear of pain right. is your enemy. Fear of pain is what will shut you down or get you paralyzed or, um, you know, despondent. But if you kind of face pain and come through, it's kind of like, wait a minute, I'm, I'm still here. I, I weathered that. I survived that, and 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 I'm okay. And 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 maybe I can stand and and you know get back something again. Having to adjust to it's never going to be the same as it was. Um, how yeah. would you say grief shows up and is a relevant topic for lawyers to think about and pay attention to? Well, lawyers are people. <laughs> oh, that's right. So, <laughs> so lawyers um, lawyers experience loss just like uh, anybody else. And uh, in fact, I do a, a, a group for lawyers, a psychoeducational group for lawyers experiencing grief and loss. And it's not, it's, it's grief uh, defined broadly. Where do you it's do not that? not just for the Lawyer Assistance Program, uh, British Columbia. Okay, where you live, that's right. And uh, I, I also have done it in Portland as well for the Oregon Attorney Assistance Program. And um, what the, the lawyers come with, experiences that we've we've talked about lots of different types of losses most of the folks who come are dealing with the death but not everyone some are dealing with the loss of a job or um the loss of um or moving one lawyer had had to leave the united states and come back to canada and was dealing with that with that loss leaving so many things behind um and and you talk about emotions chris you were talking about dealing with pain and having to, and, and facing it and how important that is. Right. And that's one of the things I talk about in, in the group. And I say psychoeducational because it's, it's, it's a support group and it's an education group. It's not a therapy, therapy group per se. So uh, they're sharing their stories, but I'm also teaching them about elements of grief. And, and one of the things I teach them and the metaphor I use is, um, you know, when you're, when you're in a skid, what do they tell you to do? They tell you to, to, to um, turn into the skid. Oh, you mean in your car, if you're driving? In your car, sorry. Okay. Yeah, if you're in a car and you're skidding, you're supposed to turn into it. Not against it. You're supposed to turn Not it. against okay. it. Okay. And that's the metaphor I use when we're talking about emotion. Okay. Because for lawyers, that can be an area that um, maybe they, they haven't done as much work in about identifying emotions and, and, and understanding the value of information that emotions tell you. Because lawyers can very much be more valuing the analytical and the intellectual. So one of the elements of this group is to help them 
value the emotional piece and connecting and hearing from other lawyers is huge. That's why doing a group of just lawyers is really helpful because I think lawyers are more comfortable being around other lawyers. It also helps if you know that other people can understand um, the right. what your what what vocational challenges you're right. facing. As you and I have discussed often, uh, the perception from the outside of lawyers is often, "What do you have to worry about? Why are you you're right. stressed? That doesn't make sense." Um, but the reality is, no, we, we are dealing with stress uh, all the time, and, and we are often dealing with loss as well, um, and, and we're not exempt from uh, the things that take out uh, ordinary people. But I think there's often a pressure either from our clients or from our work setting sometimes to sort of be superhuman, to, you know, you're tough, you rise above it, and you turn on that left brain analytical side and you just kind of power through um, right. But is that the best approach, really? Is the analytical brain really, um, I, I, I guess I would ask it this way, is there a role for the analytical brain uh, of a lawyer in grieving, and is there more uh, that we should uh, aim for than just uh, sort of a rational approach to it? Sure. Yeah, I mean, there's, of course, a role in, in all parts of ourselves, and there are different ways of grieving. There are different styles. Like some folks are more emotive. And you see that, you see the more emotional expression. Uh, and there are others who are, they're experiencing the same emotions, but they don't express it as much. And their way of dealing with grief is maybe more to do research. Mm -hmm. Like in my kinder morning groups, when a baby would die, some folks would, that it really helped them to process by researching what happened, understanding more what happened, help them uh, process their grief. Or uh, for some people, it's getting involved in, say, a Habitat for Humanity group, doing something physical, help them, unrelated to their loss, but something where they're doing something physical and they're building something and they're connecting with others, connecting in a way that's different than a therapy group. So for some people, therapy or even a support group, that's not their jam. But and doing something like a Habitat for Humanity is. So I guess, uh, is it fair to say one of the myths about grief is that the goal, no matter who you are, is to be emotive and to weep and wail? Or is it more, right. uh, uh, you know, every ex individual's experience is going to be a little bit different? And what is meaningful for one person absolutely may not be meaningful for the next. Absolutely. And that, to me, is one of the things I... I hammer home in, in my work with clients, whether it be in a group setting or individual, which is um, there is no right way that you only, you know, what works for you. And, and, so, and that can be a different, you can, your way of doing it is going to be different than mine, which is going to be different from uh, somebody else. And it's hard though, because people have their sort of expectations and, and, and when, sure. when we're grieving a loss, um, it, it's great to have friends and comforters and people who are around, but, but they're often very free with guidance, advice, and it can sort of right. sometimes cross over to the pushy and like, oh, you got to do this because I did it and it was great for me. Um, right. But there's more of a or, healthy respecting it. You know, it might look different for this other person. Yeah. Yeah. Or there's, uh, they're uncomfortable with someone like a loved one or a friend who's grieving, so they want you to move through it fast. Uh, yes. And 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 um, 
and, and give you a little bit of time to deal with it. But then after a certain amount of time, uh, you need to kind of now move on. And, and I've had just a couple of things, too, that I, I want to share. Um, I had a couple of law firms where folks have died at the firms and, and the firms have reached out to, um, to, to ask about, you know, how do we deal with this? In fact, we had one firm send a representative to one of my groups last time to learn more about grief so he could go back to the, the law firm and share with them some of the learnings he had in the group. Oh, that's super hopeful. That's super hopeful. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Do you uh, have a sense at all of whether lawyers that you've worked with have tended to be in, have they, do they report feeling support, feeling the freedom to, to go wherever this grief process leads, or do they feel constrained by, by expectations, by sort of people are like, yeah, for a little oh, yeah. while you can sort of wallow, but after a while we need you to be back at 100%. Um, what kind of experience right. do you hear people describe? Yeah, um, and sometimes they don't necessarily use words for it, but they do often come into the group with a um, mindset of what grief is supposed to look like, um, either through societal messages or through gender messages or family of origin messages about what is right and what's not right. And, and part of my work in the group, and part of the work is done by the folks the participants who come is that there, again, as I said, there's no right way that, um, that you need to decide for yourself what's the best way to grieve. Because if you don't, if you're incongruent, if you have a way you want to be, but then these messages tell you you can't do that, like I can't cry, for example, then you're, you're more likely to get stuck in your grief. And I've heard of people describe, and I remember people telling me when, when we were in various uh, stages of different uh, family-type trials, um, that there are stages of grief, and there's sort of right. people, are, a lot of people in the, in the non-counseling world are familiar with, oh, there's denial, and there's anger, and there's bargaining, and there's all this stuff. But sure. those aren't a linear process either, are they? Like, you are now in leaving stage one and entering stage two. It doesn't, <laughs> does it work like that? No, no, it doesn't. In fact, those... Those steps, uh, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross is uh, maybe someone folks know out there. She did a, her research around people who are dying and the steps they go through. Okay. And that's what that's from. Now, that research has been extrapolated to people dealing with grief. Oh, But I she said her research never was meant to be linear anyway. Okay. It was never meant to be the you know, easy and clean moves from step one to step two. So... Um, Really, now, the research and, and, and everything around grief work says there's no linear process. There's no normal, there's no average response that people have their own unique responses. Now, sure, people are going to respond. Many people respond with sadness. Many people respond with anger. Um, and, and eventually, people get to acceptance. Yeah, that, that can apply to many people, but there isn't a one-size-fits-all approach. So if it's not one-size-fits-all and there's not a linear progress, um, what would you say would be, how would you encourage somebody, particularly a lawyer, to grieve well? I mean, you, you mm. do sort of, like you mentioned, somebody being stuck, and so there, there must be a right. kind of not stuck. What, what do those two states look like? Yeah, 
I would say to be curious. That's a word I like to use with um, not just grief, but in other things as well. But to be curious about how you are reacting to grief and loss, to not have any judgment about it. If I can use a word that's very much been almost overused, it's be mindful. Is be mindful. So it's it's experiencing the feelings and the thoughts and not judging it. And it may not be pleasant. Uh, but it's the more you can experience your feelings. And by the way, that includes good feelings. Right. Because when we're grieving, when we some like, and you probably could talk about this, Chris, when, when you're grieving your mom and when you were grieving your sister, there were moments where you had positive emotions where you maybe even laughed with family members about something, some funny memory about them. And that's part of grieving too. Well, that was one of the trickiest things I remember for me when I was trying to, um, to to grieve or I was you know being encouraged okay I need to feel these feelings I'm I'm losing these people I care about I need to be sad and then something funny or good would happen and you almost feel this guilt you feel like well right I can't rejoice in this I can't be happy about this because I'm supposed to be you know wearing sackcloth and ashes and ripping my clothes right you know or or eating Haagen Dazs for hours on end um and and to (laughs) learn that it's okay yeah to have your full range of feelings. Grief doesn't mean I am now wearing black and always mourning. I think the the, right. the, the, the image of mourning is is very different and from what, what, what robust, full-body grief looks like. Yeah, so to frame it as having these positive emotions, that's part of grieving. So that can help. And there's one other, one other thing, I'm, and then I, um, I, I, I'm thinking we ought to stop in a moment. We're but close, yeah. There's a concept that, that I like to share with folks, and it's called STUG. It's an acronym. Sudden Temporary Upsurge of Grief. And Ooh. that can be an experience that we all, we all have. We think we're doing well. We're, we're going about our day. Everything's working out. And then we smell something that reminds us of our loved one. Or we see a billboard. Or we pass the hospital. We find something of theirs. our defenses aren't up. And it just hits us hard. And then we feel like, oh my gosh, I'm falling back to square one. But that is a normal experience to have. And it doesn't mean that you have fallen all the way back. It just means that um, this is, you know, a normal part of grieving, that you're going to have these things that happen. And so knowing that stugs happen is important. Well, I love that. And I think even just the freedom, uh, you know, you don't have to be like everybody else. You don't have to have this path. You don't have to meet other people's expectations. It's really about leaning into what does this mean to you? How does it affect you? If you are feeling like you're not feeling it enough, you're not feeling the right things, ask yourself questions about that. Um, and, and mainly, uh, I, would, I would imagine, as you, well, you said earlier, you know, being in dialogue with other people, particularly other people who may have had similar losses, yes. is, is, is hugely helpful. And I'll end with one phrase. Joy shared is doubled, grief shared is halved. Ooh, I love that. Joy shared is doubled, grief shared is halved. That is brilliant, and I've yeah. heard that recently. i got time for one more question. What are the kinds of losses that lawyers in particular might grieve, in particular in mm. their vocation? What else might qualify right. as a setback, a loss, something that is worthy of at least considering, hey, is there a, a grief component? I'm thinking vocationally yeah. specific. Well, I would say, let's say someone uh, is wanting to become a partner and they find out they're not, uh, or someone has had to uh, maybe uh, 
job loss, losing a big case, losing a client, um, losing, losing some, losing a client, a big client, uh, maybe your responsibilities change in some way, uh, things like that. Uh, anything where you're, where, where the terrain has changed, where you're losing something and it may be something good, but, but you're still dealing with loss. That's great. I, I know I've learned to think about that. I remember I tell a story sometimes in our workshops of one, uh, I had one rare occasion where I was trying to put a stop to uh, some, some what I thought was kind of bad behavior, kind of shakedown, um, blackmail behavior almost on the other side. And I actually filed a motion for summary judgment against my own client to try to lose the motion. I wanted the court to say, yes, my right. client was wrong because we were trying to admit we were wrong and we wanted to settle it. And tell us what we owe, because we'll write that check, because that check can't possibly be nearly in the stratosphere of what the other side was claiming. And I almost won that motion, but I didn't. And I remember right. I, after I lost, I couldn't go back to my office. I was like, I, what just happened here? And now I'm definitely going to have to try this case. We didn't get summary judgment, and we tried to get it against ourselves. And I remember I just went and sat in, in front of like a big wall of bushes and trees just to kind of just yeah. absorb what just happened. And how do I feel about it? And to let that happen to me was growth instead of just going back, well, let me go, you know, somebody else is calling, somebody else needs me, where's the next file, which I right. could have easily done. But for me, that wasn't, that was a devastating enough thing that I needed to let it have its weight. Uh, and it seems like and a simple was, thing. It's one motion in one case, but it had all these other implications uh, for how I was spending my time and my firm and everything. Yeah. And good work. Good work on that, Chris. That, that was that, Sounds like that was help, very helpful for you. Maybe too. more. And, and maybe, go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say maybe more on that story uh, later in another context. Uh, uh, yeah. Um, but we are out of time for this episode of the Thriving Lawyers podcast, but I'm so grateful to Michael for his work, uh, for how he's encouraged me uh, himself in grief, and he's an encouragement to lots of folks and hopefully will be down the road in the future as well. That's all for this time. We will uh, catch you next time, and we'll talk to you later. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Thriving Lawyers Podcast. We love hearing from our loyal listeners, so please feel free to email us any questions, comments, suggested topics, or guest recommendations at the following address, feedback at thrivinglawyerspodcast.com. The Thriving Lawyers Podcast is brought to you by Real-Time Creative Learning Experiences, a national provider of continuing legal education and professional development programs that leave participants engaged, encouraged, and equipped to pursue meaningful and sustainable change in their practices, their lives, and the organizations they work in. And by Osborne Conflict Resolution, your experienced guides through the uncharted terrain of business and family law disputes based out of Charlotte, North Carolina. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on the Thriving Lawyers Podcast.